It's Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. Every saga has a middle age. Wednesdays after mornings on Sir. This is what happens when Jay and Silent Bob get old. Oh my goodness. Smodcast Internet Radio. Plus one per diem. Smornings on Sir with Kevin and Jen. You won't let me fucking talk. Fuck you. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Fuck it or come. 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. I was pulling my dick and you looked at me weird. What the fuck? <laughs> Plus one per diem. Smornings on Sir. You shut up. You shut up. You shut up. I said for a shut, shut up. Here we go. We're going to start the show. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together and give it up. It's time for the ABCs of SNL with John Lovitz and your host, Kevin Smith. Give it up, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. Uh, welcome, Podfather. How are you? I am fine. <laughs> Podfather. Uh, my pod is so sore. <laughs> We're going to take a, a, a walk down memory lane with you. How sharp are you? Well, we'll see. I'll take that. I'm thrilled. But I want to thank Kevin because, you know, we've been a, co- you know, it's been John Lovett's Comedy Club for two years. And Kevin was doing his Smodcastle. And then I had a partner in the club, Frank Kelly, who was friends with Ralph Garman. And Ralph goes, we want to move it here. And you guys, you know, it's... Well, let's just be honest. It's so many more people are showing up to this thing. It's just a thrill to be, you know, teaming up with you. And I can't thank you enough. And this is really... This is Kevin's vision. I mean, I can't lie. Oh, stop. You're going to make me cry. Well, it is. (laughs) You're very I mean, I, I... um, anyway, okay. you want to talk about Saturday Night Live? I want to talk about how you first decided you ever wanted to be funny professionally. It's a weird thing to be like, I want to do this in front of people and get paid. Um, when did you first realize that you were funny? Well, I can tell you the exact moment when I knew I, I, I wanted to be funny was, a, you know, I'm from uh, the Valley here in Sino and Tarzana. And my father was a, a, a doctor, a very successful doctor. <laughs> but, uh, like, he built Tarzana Hospital. and he, You know, the Jackson family, he was their doctor. He had a lot of patients like you know, Kenny Rogers. You sure you want to take credit for that Jackson with... family doctor thing? <laughs> yes, I'll defend them to the core. They're the nicest people ever. And you knew them growing up? I'd run, well, literally, I ran into Michael Jackson on my bike. When I, I was 12, he's a year younger than me, and they live on, it's not a secret, Havenhurst, that's the name of their house. I mean, you know, I don't talk about security, I wouldn't name your house after the street you live on, but anyway. <laughs> so I was like 12, and with my friend David, who happens to be uh, uh, Lisa Kudrow's uh, 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 brother, I grew up with their family. Okay. So Lisa Kudrow from Friends. From Friends, yeah. Okay. But that's just a coin. You know, it's like she's like my sister, and I. Anyway, that's another story. But I, I inspired her. She says. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I 
No, but you know, it's like your best friend's little sister, and all of a sudden she's like on friends. You're like, holy shit. But uh, yeah, so we're driving, riding up Havenhurst. We rode bikes, and the valley was in the 60s. It was like, leave it to Beaver. And, uh, and so we're riding, and my friend David goes, hey, I think Michael Jackson lives somewhere around here. All of a sudden, he comes shooting out on this 10-speed bike. And he like ran into us almost. And he slammed on his brakes and we slammed on ours. We're like, oh. And, and then I met him over the years. I see him at my college at UC Irvine. And they had the ABC uh, network of the stars. He was about 17 then. I was about 18. And I see him. and I, But he looked totally different. And I said, are you? No, I mean from when he was a kid. <laughs> You know, he, he had like he had the bad acne then and the big afro. But I saw him and I and I'm standing there and I go and there's all these actors and him and, I, and he wasn't that. His career was kind of dead at that time. Right. I said, "Are you Michael Jackson?" He goes, "Yeah." And I, go, yeah. I go, "Oh." I go, "I think my father's your doctor." And he goes, "Who? Oh, who's your father?" I go, "Doctor Lovitz." He goes, "Oh yeah, tell him I said hi." And then you know he ran on and then I'd run into him. A friend of mine became his assistant and. Did that's you ever bring story. it up and be like, I, you almost killed me with a bike once? Did you ever bring it up to him? Well, that's the story. Yeah, the last time I saw him, uh, I, he looked, it was a, I'd met him briefly over the years and he would go, oh, this is my friend John. His dad was your doctor. Oh, thanks for everything. You know, it was always brief. But the last time I saw him, it was when he, right when he's in the midst of being sued by the last time. And I saw him and I said, uh, and he just looked at me. It was the first time he really looked at me and went, and his eyes got because I know you. I know you. I just saw you. I go, well, yeah. Well, I met you like five or six times when my dad was your doctor. I remember. I go, well, remember, I met you when I was 12. Remember that 10-speed bike you had the, with the rainbow, like it looked like a rainbow? He goes, yeah. I go, well, you ran into my friend and I. He goes, I remember that. I go, you remember that, meeting me then? He goes, yes. Anyway. He's like, that was the moment that changed me. <laughs> All right, I left out part of the story, but anyway, <laughs> my dad was my that was my dad. He was like that. That's I, that's like mocking the portrait dad. of you as the podfather. Daddy, yeah, he's like that. Very. Much. All right, so you grew up next to him. But anyway, Saint Michael well, Jackson. Well, and it's you know you know it's Los Angeles. There's a lot of actors, kids. We'd have like the Batmobile at our house. I mean, not at our house at our, at our school for Halloween Why? in fifth and sixth the grade. The real Batmobile because Adam West lived in Tarzana and his kids went to Wilbur Avenue. So Halloween, we'd have the Batmobile. So I was thrilled. You know, it's the Batmobile. Or what was the show, The Brady Bunch? What was the youngest one? Cindy Brady? Yeah, yeah. Susan Olsen. She was at my elementary school. So you'd be there in the playground, and I'd go, what's Cindy Brady doing here? <laughs> I don't know. I, was t- I didn't know anything. I, oh, she goes to our school. When was the what moment was you decided you wanted to be funny again? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. By the way, I told Ket... Then uh, they can videotape. You threw you with the magic picture taking I box. I told him, I have ADD and I go on tangents. I go, you sure you want? He goes, yeah, do it. All I'll right. always bring you back home, man. Well, anyway, so my dad was a doctor. He had a nurse, ah. and she had two kids, six and four. And I was five at the time. Greg and was six, and Michael was four. So hit my my nurse said, "All right, you kids go to sleep." So Michael had, had twin beds in his room. So I was in one bed and he was in the other bed, just so we're clear. <laughs> and uh, <coughs> so the bedroom door is open, but the light from the hallway was on. So I, anyway, when I was at five, I could not uh, close my eyes and go to sleep because I was just awake. Because like nine, I'd be like, you know, my eyes floating, and I couldn't close them. So I would just lay in bed with my eyes open and just wait. 
I didn't know how to go to sleep. I didn't know how to do I just lay there and I just wait. <laughs> I can't, so anyway, I'm laying there waiting to fall asleep, just waiting. And Michael, all of a sudden, he stuck his head up. And I could see him and he made this face at me like, you know, like this. And then he laid back down. And I was like, what the hell was that? <laughs> and then he did it again. Well, the second time, I just started dying laughing. And he kept doing it. And I was like crying laughing. It what was, was the face? Did, One more time? Like, <laughs> he had a little butch haircut. He was like a cute kid. And he was like, they lay back down. So he and looked I like he made the face laughing. like he was having a stroke. He was like, you know, with his lower teeth on his lip. Like, mm-hmm. And I was literally, I was crying laughing. It was so funny. And I remember at that moment thinking, I want to be funny like Michael. And then when Woody Allen, uh, years later, did the movie Take the Money and Run, my friend David Kudrow, he's, he's hilarious too. <coughs> we saw that movie. We, this is the guy. We just thought it was the funniest thing ever. And that's when I thought I want to be a comedian like him. How old were you at that point? I was uh, 13. 13? But when I was 7, I saw Al Jolson movie with starring Larry Parks, and I saw Yankee Doodle Dandy. So then I thought I wanted to do musicals and sing, you know. And, and my you dad are wanted to be of a singer, singer, right? You do. You've recorded. Yeah, because, yeah. Because my well, my dad was he wanted to be an opera singer, so he's always playing records and musicals and opera. And we, my sisters and I, we'd all sing. So you know. But then I saw Take Woody Allen. And then, and then when I was, I said, I want to be funny like him. Then I saw the movie Lenny starring Dustin Hoffman when I was 16. And, um, I thought that was so great. He was so great. I had never heard of Lenny Bruce. So I went to the record store, which they don't have. It's so weird. Anyway, and I went to get Lenny Bruce's comedy albums. And then I saw Woody Allen had an album called Woody Allen, the nightclub years, 1964 to 1968. So, and I had no idea he'd been a stand-up. So I bought that, and I said, David, you got to hear this Woody Allen stuff. It's so funny. And then and I went to UC Irvine, and in my dorm, I was in the fine arts dorm, Prado. I memorized Woody Allen and Lenny Bruce's routines. And I, like Woody Allen, I'd write their routines on a card, and then I'd have little arrows where his voice would go up and go down and this. I was just, I just was like you passionate it. about it. Oh, yeah. 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 No one told me to do it. I just really wanted to do it. And, and then I would do their routines and get laughs. So that's the first time I did that. And you were doing that in college? Other people? Yeah, routines? I started doing plays in 10th grade. I wanted to be Willie Mays. And then I realized when I was 15, I'm just not going to ever be a black baseball player. <laughs> that's what I really wanted to be. Because the Valley, everyone, baseball in the 60s, the NBA and football, they were around, but they weren't like they are. Baseball was it. I mean, you know, David, we wanted to be Willie Mays, and and then that didn't happen. I just wasn't good enough. It's tough. We all wait for that moment when we're like, oh, it's happened. I'm Willie Mays. Yeah. But you realize, you know, well, you love Wayne Gretzky. Did you play hockey as a kid? Not really. No. No, 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 no. Did you play baseball as a kid? Yeah, yeah, from when I was like 7 to 15. I was obsessed with baseball to the point I was 12 and my dad got mad. He goes, God damn it! There's more to life than Willie Mays. And I remember looking at him thinking, no, there isn't. Are you crazy? He's God. He was like Michael Jordan of basketball, right? right, he, right. he was th- th- it. He was like... And you ask anybody who saw him play, Tommy Lasorda, Vin Scully, the Dodgers, any player, who's the best player you ever saw? Willie Mays. I mean, he was just amazing. Anyway, and I got to meet him. But anyway, that's another story. So I started Wait, doing when plays. when did you meet him? Years later? <laughs> yeah. Well, I... Yeah. 
You want to hear that whole story? Fuck yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I don't know what it has to do with Saturday I mean, you can't, Live. You can't bury the lead like that. You're like, I always wanted to meet him, I wanted to be him, well, I wanted to base Saturday my whole life on him, and I met him, but you don't want to hear that. Like, we All right, well, I... Well, Saturday Night Live, like every week they'd have a big movie star. So people would say, who do you want to meet? And I go, well, you meet everybody every week. But the two people I wanted to meet, I go, Woody Allen and Willie Mays. Because that's who I wanted to be from 7 to 15. I wanted to be Willie Mays, and then I wanted to be Woody Allen. And then and I met Woody Allen. That's another story. But Willie Mays... <laughs> I, 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 well, I mean, you know, there's like a million stories. We'll get to that one next. Go ahead, Willie Mays first. So I got to, a league of their own was about baseball. So because of that, I got to play in the Hollywood Stars game at Dodger Stadium. And then I got a friend of mine, uh, Casey Sander, who was uh, I was in the Groundlings Theater with him, and he's one of my best friends. And we were, he was on the show Grace Under Fire, played the next door neighbor, great actor. He used to play minor league baseball, and then he started doing. A, I got him into that, and then he started doing a charity game in Seattle with Richard Carn, who was on uh, uh, Home, Home Improvement. Improvement. And he would do a golf tournament, and Casey added a baseball game. They're both from Seattle. Then Casey met ball players in that, and they go, well, we have the Major League Baseball alumni game in Florida. That's a whole other story. But anyway, that in Florida, you met all these ball players, Pete Rose, Bob Feller, Tug McGraw, the greatest guy ever. It was so horrible when he died. Tug McGraw, he put a shave, pie of shaving cream in my face. He goes, welcome to the big leagues. And I was like, in heaven, heaven, you know, to have that happen. So... We met Vita Blue, who we were huge fans of the pitcher in the Oakland Athletics. And we talk about Willie Mays, and Vita Blue goes, well, I know Willie Mays. If you guys are ever in San Francisco, call me and I'll introduce you. So I went up with my friend Miko to see the World Series, the Giants. And we called Vita Blue. It was like two years later. I go, hey, Vita, we're in uh, San Francisco. We want to meet Willie Mays. Okay. And then... So he goes, I'll call. And then Miko's wife, she's great, a good friend, but it was so mean. She goes... John, I heard Willie Mays talking about you on the radio today, and he's really excited to meet you. I go, he is? So I started, like, sobbing. Because <laughs> it meant so much to me. It was like, you know, Wayne Gretzky saying, Yeah, yeah. You know, and he'll never say that. He wants to you. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I know, Wayne. I asked you, do you want me to meet him? Or you go, no. I said no, no, you no, said, no. no. Wayne's the nicest guy in the world. But to you me, he's just Wayne. Too? You know, I was never in hockey. So he's Wayne. Huh? We'll hear a story about that yeah. later. Finish the fucking story about <laughs> Mays, man. So anyway, and then she goes, it wasn't true. And I go, that's so fucking mean of you. Anyway. Wait, so she told you like I heard him talking about you? Well, it wasn't true. She was like, And I got Psych. all emotional because, you know, my whole life I wanted to be Willie Mays. So now, anyway, so we, so we meet Vita Blue, so we go up to Giant Stadium. Well, they have, I go, I hope they treated him great. Cause they traded him, you know, to the Mets after, you know, he's the, like the greatest ball player ever, then they trade him. Oh, how rude. Anyway, I get there, there's Willie Mays Plaza, there's Willie Mays Street, there's Willie Mays, there's a giant statue of him. I'm like, yes. And then I, so we go up to his suite, Vita Blue, he takes us up to his suite, and he has his own baseball suite, and says, Number 20 says, Say Hey 24 in his suite. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, that was his nickname, the Say Hey Kid. So Vita Blue goes, well, wait here. I said, I'm afraid I'm going to start crying if I meet him. He goes, well, don't worry. He goes, so we go up to the suite. Vita says, wait here, and uh, I'll go in and tell him who you are. And then if I can bring you in, I will. If I can, I can. I said, all right. So we're waiting, Frank Miko and I, we're waiting outside the suite for about five minutes. 
And the door opens, and I'm thinking, oh, here's Vita. Well, the door opens, and there's Willie Mays. And I'm like, oh. And then... And then he puts his dick in your mouth because you're just (laughs) waiting for it? Oh, no, no. But in your sick little mind, that's the fantasy. Because your fantasy is, Kevin, this is Wayne Gretzky. And you drop to your knees and blow him. (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) That's why I don't want to meet him. It'll be awkward. Hi, man. Yeah, and then you say, you want a puck? (laughs) Anyway. Okay, so into the door So he comes out, and then I'm just staring at him. I go, nice to meet you. And then Vitaboo goes, go on, tell him what you told me. So I'm like, oh, uh, well, I'm John Lovitz. I'm an actor and comedian now, but... Anyway, when I was 7 to 15, I wanted to, to be you. It was so, you know, and I used to do your, imitate your catches and this, and then I, and he goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I got into acting and stuff, and I do movies, and I goes, okay, okay. I mean, he was really nice. And then I said, uh, and then I'm looking at him, and then I like hit him in the arm. I don't know what got me, and I went, you know what I like about you? <laughs> this is what I, was great about him was, I don't know if you know this story, but it was the World Series, and the, the Dodgers and the Giants are playing each other. As you know, they have a huge rivalry. Like, they beat up that fan, which is horribly disgusting. No, that's like the sickest thing ever. And I don't know how no one saw it or no one jumped in. Because if I was there, I would have said, Casey, do something, you know. Because <laughs> Casey's six. Casey would have jumped in and beat the shit out of the I can't fight with shit, but I would have done something, I think. I would have... At the very least, I would have screamed for help. <laughs> it's horrible that Brian Stone. That's horrible. They got permanent brain damage. It's, I mean, yeah, it's a rivalry. But you got, for God's sake, you don't do that. That's disgusting. Anyway, um, I think 64 or 65 World Series. Well, Johnny Roseboro is the catcher of the Dodgers. And Juan Marichal, the pitcher of the Giants, is up to bat. And they pitch the ball. And, and Johnny Roseboro throws the ball back and apparently went really close to Juan Marichal's ear. Like he heard the wind. And he goes, you do that again, I'm going to fucking kill you. I don't know what he said. Something. He goes, don't do that again. You're, you know. Well, they do another pitch, and Johnny Roseboro does it again. Juan Marichal took his bat, and he cracked him over the head. You know that story? No. This is real? Yes. It was like the most famous brawl in baseball ever. He literally took his bat, and he went, bam, bam, right on his head. And you see it on you, Johnny Roseboro kind of goes, he kind of leaps. Well, of course, the bench is cleared. You know, they clear for, but that was like, you know, it was clear as a bell. Well, the Dodgers and Giants, they just clear the benches, right? And they start fighting each other. Well, what does Willie Mays do? Willie Mays, he goes in and he gra- he doesn't fight. He goes in and he grabs Johnny Roseboro. I go, you didn't fight. You went and you, you protected Johnny Roseboro and you, you know, <clears throat> and he goes, well, he goes, like he's teaching me, he goes, best way to end the fight, you take away one of the guys that's fighting, see? And I go, oh, he goes, mm-hmm. best way to end the fight, you take away one of the guys that's fighting. He's talking about like the, mo- the most famous brawl in the history of baseball, but you know, it happened to him. He had an but, insider's point of view. Yeah, he, and he was just super nice to me. He didn't know who I was, but I didn't give a shit. I don't, I'm like, I don't care if you don't know who I am, I know who you are. You know, and I was just thrilled. And he, we took some pictures, it was fantastic. He couldn't have been uh, uh, nicer. What is the Woody Allen story? When you finally meet Woody Allen? Well, I'm on Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. So, 
Penny Marshall from Laverne and Shirley. She was hanging out the first two weeks. Anyway, she befriended me, and she brings me to this restaurant on 69th and Columbus called Columbus. That was a restaurant. And she introduced me to this guy, Polly Herman, who was on, uh, he's an actor too. Polly talks like this. And he was on, Beansy on The Sopranos, right? And he talks like he's in the mafia. He hey, John, how you doing? You know, he talks like this. It, it turns out he's a, he's a, he was a rocket scientist. <laughs> I didn't know this for three years. I go, oh, Paul, you were a rocket scientist? Yeah. Because <laughs> what the fuck do you know, Lovitz? Because, yeah, I went to uh, RIP. You know what that, or REP, what is that? Rensselaer, RPI, yeah, Rensselaer. He goes, yeah, I went there. What does it stand for? Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. What? Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. I know, I know, I was testing you. <laughs> Rensselaer Polytech Institute, which is for math geniuses. He went there. He goes, yeah, yeah, I used to work on, a, uh, you know, the, uh, the rocket uh, going to Saturn. I go, oh, bullshit. He goes, well, he goes yeah, you want to see some calculus? I go, yes. All right, here. <laughs> What's the sign over the coach sign over the white? He starts sprouting out. It's all true. How the fuck? You act like you're an idiot. <laughs> I go, how'd you become an actor? Well, I didn't like the life, you know, so I do this. Great. Anyway, he took, Penny Marshall says, Polly, take care of him. So Polly takes me under his wing. He introduces me to everybody. Uh, to, you know, well, Reg- the, the restaurant was owned by people like Robert De Niro and Regis Philbin and, and Barishnikov was there. And I met Mike Tyson there. I met everybody. Well, Brian Hamill I met. Brian Hamill's the still photographer for Woody Allen. And his brother's like, he has five brothers, Dennis Hamill and Pete Hamill. They're very famous writers. So anyway, he works with Woody Allen. So I'd always tell him, you know, Woody is my idol. I became a comedian. So anyway, one day, you know, I just read Woody Allen plays clarinet at Michael Pub, Michael's Pub, which is a restaurant in New York. So anyway, Brian brings me there and he goes, I'll introduce you. And, about, I, and he brought me there and, and I, there's Woody Allen and I said, and Brian goes, well, this is John Lovitz. He's on Silent Live. And, he, you know, he became a comedian because of you. And Woody Allen goes, oh, I finally influenced somebody, you know. <laughs> and, and I'm like, what are you talking about, you know. And, and, then I, and then I just said, he loved Willie Mays. I go, you know, we have something in common. We both love Willie Mays. Oh, yeah, Willie Mays. And then I got to, Brian goes, you want to come to the set of one of his movies? I said, yes. So I got to go to the set and I'm talking to Woody Allen. I have a picture of it. And, and then Brian goes, he said you can come back to the set anytime you want. He goes, he never does that. I'm like, oh. I'm like, are you serious? I, I, I was having. And then I finally got to work with him in the movie Small Time Crooks. And, uh, and I had a scene where it's just the two of us. And the whole movie I'm saying, you know, Woody, uh, uh, this is a dream come true. I became a comedian because of you. And um, so the movie I play, there's Woody Allen and, T- and Tony Darrow, who's a New York from New York, great actor, and Michael Rappaport, and they all talk like this. Well, I'm from Tarzana, but there's supposed to be the four of us from New York. So I wanted to ask them, well, should I do an accent or should I do me? <coughs> so the producer, this woman, Helen Robbins, I said, I, I go, I need to ask him a question about the, uh, I have a question about my character. She says, well, he's busy making the movie. <laughs> I said, he, he doesn't really have time for questions. He's busy making the movie. I said, well, I'm, I'm in the movie he's making. I can't ask him a question? No, he, you know, I go, well, I want to know if I should do a character myself. She goes, well, you should probably do yourself. I go, well, can I just ask him that? I, I don't want to be, f-. she says, don't worry about it. Well, of course, for two weeks, I'm crazy worried about it. I don't want to be fired by my idol. That would be the worst. So finally, I see him on the set. I go, listen, can I just ask you one question? 
He goes, yeah, sure. I'm like, all right, should I do a character or be myself? Because you guys are all from New York and I'm not. He goes, well, you can do it as long as it's real, you know. I said, okay. So I did picked out this character I wanted to do. I was imitating this guy named Cha-Cha. What's that on Wise Guys Radio, on Sirius Radio? You ever listen to that? Anyone? No? Mm. All right, fine. Well, this is a great story. Well, Cha-Cha, he used to manage Tony Danza as a boxer, and he's got a restaurant in the village. And this is how he talked. He literally talked like this. Hey, how you doing? My name is Cha-Cha. And he talks like this, and I am not exaggerating. I go, how you doing, Chachi? He goes, oh, my knee's not good. It's got an inflammation. <laughs> and he talks like this. He goes, yeah, I used to date this girl when I was 18. I saw her 10 years later. She's 28 years old. And she's blown up 400 pounds like a fucking gorilla. And I saw her 10 years later, and I wanted to marry her when I was 18. Now it's 10 years later. I said, hey. How come you wouldn't marry me ten years ago, you fat fuck? I go, maybe that's why. But um. so, so the first day in the scene, I didn't have any lines. But what he goes, you can add anything you want. So the next day, I had a scene and I had lines. And I'm going, what are we gonna do? There's a fire. There's no insurance. This is crazy. And then what he goes, Scott, he goes, here, John, come here. He goes, you know, I think it's better if you just do yourself because. Uh, you know, it doesn't sound real. I don't want to argue with him and say, no, it's a real guy. He goes, just do yourself instead of a character. And he goes, anyway, I tell people John Lovitz are in the movie and they think it's fantastic. And he goes, those guys are good. But, you know, you know, guys like us, we're funny. You know, we don't have to add stuff on. I go, really? He goes, yeah, you know, guys like us, we're already funny, so don't worry about it. I go, okay. So, I, of course, I go back to my mark, which is where you're supposed to stand, right, at the start. And I started crying. Because, again, because I cry. Because why? Because my idol, you know, oh, I left out when I'm 20. My dad said, there's more. Who do you think you are, Woody Allen? So first he was angry about Willie Mays. Then I want to be Woody Allen. Who do you think you are, Woody Allen? And now, you know, since I was 13, 29 years later, I'm 42. And Woody Allen's saying, guys like us. Right? And so I wanted to be a comedian since I'm 13 because of him. So now the guy that I idolized is saying to me, guys like us. So he's completely validating my whole choice in life, which is, you know, to be an artist or a filmmaker, everyone says, are you insane? Hardly anyone makes it, which is true. Nobody, it's like, the odds are like so against you. And But now he's saying to me, guys like us. So I started like tearing up and crying like this. And I thought, shit, I got to get a hold of myself or I'm going to lose it. And the point of the story is that night I told, I called Dana Carvey. I said, I said, you wouldn't believe what happened on the set today, da da da. And then Woody Allen said, guys like us. And Dana totally got it. Dana starts screaming, guys like us! He said, guys like us! I go, yeah, yeah! He said, guys like us! You know, I, I, I wasn't like, you know, yeah, he said, guys like us. He said, guys like us! Woody, you know. <laughs> And he didn't fire me. And then I had a scene with him, and, I, and he would keep, just he and I, and he kept laughing. And then three days later, he goes, hey, I saw the dailies, and I want you to know I, you know, you're really funny in the movie, and I was laughing at the dailies. And he goes, you know, I never laugh at dailies, but you were making me laugh. I go, I know, I remember in the scene, you were, you started laughing at the end. He goes, no, but you don't, under, John, you don't understand. I never laugh at dailies, and I want you to know you were making me laugh. Well, yeah. Well, that is fucking huge, man. That's beautiful. Well, what could be bigger? You know, it's your idol going, you. You made me laugh. It's like Willie Mae saying, that catch you made, that was just fantastic. You know, you and me, John, you know. And I said, yes, Willie. I can relate. You and I, 
both being black and from the South. <laughs> it was like that. So it was, it was a thrill. He, he couldn't have been nicer to me. I mean, he really went out of his way. And, uh, but he nice. does not like questions on movies. This is how much he does not like being asked questions. Anderson, the director, that's their job, isn't it? That's huh? the only job that a director has on set is to be able to answer anybody's question at a moment's notice. Even shit like, why are we here? You have to be able to be like, we're only here for a short time. Make the best of it. Act accordingly. You know. And from every department, right? Yes. Costumes, set design, lighting. They all want an actors, answer. It's basically a job everything. of uh, red or black, and you're like, oh, black. You have to be able to. You can't sit there and be like, I don't know what should it be, because if they smell weakness, they'll cut your throat. So you got to be able right away to be like, oh, black. Of course it's black. That's the, the job, knows. right? Because the, the movie's in your head. Yes. So you have to trust the director. He's the only one that has it in his head. It's his vision. And how many questions a day would you say you get as a director? I mean, no, no lie, over 200. But that's 200. the job. Woody Allen doesn't want any questions. <laughs> None. 200 a day for weeks. He, he hired a Chinese director of photography. The DP sets up the, all the shots to so put the camera here, light it like this. After seeing a scene, you know, actors act it out. He goes, I put the camera here, light it like this. They hired a Chinese director of photography. And they said, but Woody, he doesn't speak English. He's like, oh, good. He won't ask me any questions. I even said, I had a scene with him. I could just see and I go, well, I think and I could. He goes, no, 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 don't tell me. Surprise me. But basically, he hires who he likes and he's like, do your thing, you know, which is. The thing is, he doesn't. An- I he answer, does direct. If the scene's answer, not working, uh, he corrects it. He goes, this isn't working. Try this. Try, th-, you know. I'll answer a zillion uh, questions. Uh, he'll answer no questions. He made Manhattan. I made Cup Out. So <laughs> perhaps he's the guy that should be fucking. Uh, I, we should all. Yeah, but when you have that. total uh, control. Yeah. You made that movie Red State, which is coming out, which I saw, which is like amazing. I do. Let's keep it on you. Take me back now. Yes, but, can we keep it on me, Kevin? Yes, we're gonna try. You, uh, so you're in, you're going to UC Irvine, uh, and you're doing a lot of theater. Irvine, and yeah, and kids, kids go, why aren't you ever, um, why aren't you ever serious? I don't know. See, I didn't, see, I didn't want to work for a living, you see. Because work to me was something you had to do eight hours a day, and you hated it, but you did it for the money. I go, I don't want to do that. I want to get paid to be me, because I'm basically lazy. <laughs> so it turns out that I have a personality, and I'm funny. And then they go, well, there's this thing called comedy. And I go, what's that? It's you. I go, what do you mean? <laughs> that. Oh. Who's talking to you? <laughs> my, my dog, Sam. Is that true, really? Yes. Well, I didn't name him. He was a skipper key. Wait, is skipper... That's the kind of a dog it is. A is skipper the breed key. of a dog. They look like a miniature bear with no tail. Really? Like you. <laughs> you could be a skipper key. Let's Am I an ass? Back on He's you. saving my club, and I'm making fun of him. Let's keep it back on you. That's comedy. Hmm? You're, you're, Can we get back to me, you little trying, skipper key? We're trying. We're trying. We're <laughs> trying. <laughs> Tailless bear. My um, little skipper key. Okay, you creep me out. Um, you're uh, you're in UC Irvine. When do you, when do you start realizing like, oh, I'm funny enough to actually try to do this for a living? Um, is it during that? This period? is the best advice I ever got. My uh, I was in my freshman year of college, so they start. I did plays in high school, <coughs> about five, and I thought, oh, I want to keep doing this, and I want to go to Berkeley because my mother went there, and she said it's an amazing college. 
This is 75. And my dad says, no, you'll turn into a hippie. <laughs> Which my sisters were like hippies. So I, I, and some guy, Steve Marylander in my high school said, you know, Irvine has a good drama department. So I went there, I checked it out, and I went, I'll go there. Because it was by the beach, it was an hour away, I had a girlfriend, and sorry, at the time, hmm. Anyway, I didn't want to be too far away from her, so I went there. And, but luckily, it was fantastic. We would do 15 plays, uh, uh every 10 weeks. They do 45 plays a year. You could do as much as you wanted. So they started talking about professional acting. And my teacher, who Robert Cohen, one of them, the head of drama, he went, is, went to Yale, which is a great school. He was a PhD from Yale. He says, you know, the odds of you making it are pretty much zero. Uh, the average salary, there's 90,000 people in the Screen Actors Guild. Now there's like 120,000, I think. He goes, but of those 90,000, 5% work, and the average salary is $4,500 a year. So I went to my uh, teacher, uh, Ashley Carr, who's also a great actor, went to Yale, the best drama school, that in Juilliard. Was, I said, how much money did you make as a professional actor? The most you made, he goes, 350 bucks a week. So he went back to teaching, and he was a great, a great actor. And I, I said, well, I don't know if I want to do this. You guys are saying it's like basically saying it's impossible. I don't want to waste four years of college if it's just basically there's just no chance in hell. He said, well, here's my advice to you. I'm not saying you act or don't act. He goes, but he said, find what you do in your spare time that you uh, enjoy doing. He goes, and that's constructive. He goes, it has to be constructive, too. He goes, whatever that is, do that. So I said, okay. Well, the most fun I ever had, honestly, was my friend David. We were at home at my house once. And, we, and we, Westwood was really popular when we were 16, that was in 73, like, and we would just drive for like three hours. I was bored out of my mind. I go, David, please. This is just driving cruising. What, like up and down. Cruising like American graffiti, but you'd go to Westwood, you know, and everyone would, it was packed till they had a drive by in the eighties. Packed. Thousand, you know, ten, I don't know, I have fifty thousand people. It was just packed. Your movies, that's where you went to movies. It was an hour and a half wait in line, you know, it was crazy. So we would just drive around Westwood. So one night he goes, I have an idea. He was like the leader of our friendship. I was shy. He goes, I have an idea. Let's write, let's, let's pick a word and we'll write it on a piece of paper. And then we have 15 minutes to write a story and then we'll read it to each other. So I said, okay. So he goes, all right, what's your word? I go, the finger. <laughs> or he said the finger, I think. So I wrote the finger. And then I wrote the most ridiculous finger story about a snail making love to another snail and, you know. Some guy picking his nose till his head came down. That was ridiculous. So I read the story back after 15 minutes, and I was like crying laughing. We're just It was the stupidest story ever. But we were just crying. It was so ridiculous. And I thought, well, that's the most fun I ever had. So I go, that's what I want to do. I want to write and create my own material. Did you do, when did you go? Did you go to Groundlings? Where did you go for comedy? Well, after, basically camp? after college, I went, I went to the Film Actors Workshop for a year. Which a friend of mine from a year and a half, a friend Mike Sabatino goes, we need to know film. He graduated before me. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what to do. So I went there for a year and a half. I had no work. Then I went to uh, New York for a year, tried it there. I, ha- I did the Renaissance Fair because my friends from college got me in. And Wait, wait, wait. You were in a Renaissance Fair? <laughs> yeah, I got paid 25 bucks. And you could create your own character. So I was the village prankster. <laughs> So I just got to go around. I go, look, there's the town virgin. And yet she doth seem pregnant. You know. And, <laughs> and at the end, at the end of the day, uh, there'd be this, it was in, it was Sterling Forest. It was in Tuxedo, New York. And they'd have this big stage 
and that have about 5,000 people and that have the procession with the Queen of England and that have a big joust. So they, before they'd come, I could do anything I wanted. They go, you're the village prankster, whatever you want to do, just go. <clears throat> you're improvising all day. So I'd get on stage, <laughs> I'd put on a skirt and this wig and, you know, and an unused wrapped tampon like a cigar, and I'd be yelling to the crowd, i go, there will be no more archbishops. From now on, there will be only archrabbis. <laughs> and then the guards on the stage, they're, they're walking into the procession, and I'm like on there fucking around, and they look at me, they went, and they took it really seriously. So they start chasing me, you know, and I'm running all around with this wig. Oh, I had a mustache. It was ridiculous. And they're pounding me in the ground, and it was, it was fantastic. I paid like 25 bucks. And I had no prospects, so I came back for Christmas, Los Angeles, and then I, that's when I started The Groundlings. And I first heard of The Gra- Groundlings as a great theater, but I was 20, and David's sister, Helene, said, she worked for manager, and I met the manager, he goes, you should go to The Groundlings. There's this guy there, he's doing this character named Pee Wee Herman. And I was like 20. So I went, and he was the funniest thing ever, he was hilarious. So I called the next day, go, you have classes? And this, I don't know who this guy answered, but he scared me, he goes, yeah, come on down. And he was like Southern. And I think I'd just seen Deliverance. I thought, I'll skip that. It scared me. So, I'm, so it's five years later. I moved back from uh, New York because I go, I have no chance in New York. And I go, this is like nothing. But compared to New York, I have even less. I have nothing. So I, I had no money. So my, I moved in with my friend David in a condo in the Woodland Hills. So I said, all right, I'm going to be a comedian and my teacher, Tony Barr, at the Film Actors Workshop, said, you should, you're funny. Like, I want to do drama, too. He goes, yeah, but it's rare to be funny. You should really go for comedy, which I really wanted to do. But honestly, I was too scared. Because like a lot of people, I'd say, well, what if I do everything I can do, and then I don't make it? Then what? Everyone will say, you idiot. So a lot of people use that as an excuse to not go for their dreams. But, but I'm telling you, what I realized, failure is not trying. If you try, you haven't failed. Failure is not trying. That's all. So you go for it in anything. Yeah. So <laughs> you like this way. So I said, I'm going to be a comedian. And so I, I drive from Woodland Hills to Poinsettia and Melrose, where the grounding was. And I get on the freeway, and I start crying again. <laughs> I'm sobbing. I'm scared to death. Because everyone's saying, everyone, I came back from New York, and even my friend David goes, what are you doing? It's enough already with the acting. And it was just like my teacher said, you'll be an actor, and then you'll, your friends will be in law school and medical school. And then five years later, they'll be doctors and lawyers. And you're still struggling. Then they'll be married with a family. And you're still struggling. And that's what was happening to me. I had nothing. I was 25. A friend of mine goes, it was a musician, had a band at the Troubadour. He goes, why don't you go to law school? Just do it. You have something to fall back on. But a friend of my family, this guy uh, married an actor, Dana Elkar, who used to be on Beretta, a great actor. You can look him up. He, and I was 17. I said, well, do you have any advice about acting? He goes, and he started telling me. He goes, well, what should I fall, have to fall back on? Because my dad always said I should have something to fall back on. And Dana goes, well, your father probably wouldn't want me to tell you this, but I don't think you should have anything to fall back on because it's so hard to make it in acting that if you have something to fall back on, you will. He goes, I went to Michigan State for three year, years, and he goes, or Michigan University of Michigan. He goes, and I didn't get my degree because I just thought I'll fall back on it. So I thought, all right. So... I, I went to the Groundlings, and I was crying the whole way because no one ever said, you should be a comedian but me. And all my best friends I grew up with said, you should quit, except my one friend, John Andrews, who was an architect. But he goes, no, you should stick to acting. 
because he was passionate about it, but also he understood because his parents were actors. His mother was a big Broadway dancer, and his father was a great guy, Ty Andrews, who's, you know, Captain Greer on the, you know, Mod Squad, the original yeah, yeah, series yeah. in the 60s. That was John's dad. So he understood it. So he goes, no, you should, John, he goes, you got to go for it. So anyway, I drove down the ground, he's like crying, because it was like going from another state to Hollywood. I was scared shitless. So anyway, I get there, and I get on, and they go, all right, go on stage, and this guy, Randy Bennett from Texas, who often felt like this. So I did some improv. He goes, well, that was funny, but you could have been funny like this. You could have been funny like this. You could have been funny like this. And I'm like going, what? I couldn't believe what I was hearing. This is the first time no one's saying, stop goofing off and fucking around. They're saying, yeah, that's funny, but you could goof off like this. You can goof off like this. You can goof off. And all of a sudden, I go, oh, my God. And I'm in a world of class clowns. I was like a class clown in high school, a camp. I was a class clown in college. Oh, my God. It was like music to my ears. And I was just home. And I met this whole group of people like Tim Stack and Phil Hartman. It was like a genius. These people were so funny and so nice and so smart. And just Judy Toll, God rest her soul. Wait a second. You me. met Phil Hartman in the Groundlings long before SNL? Yeah. Um, did yeah. you get you guys get along right away? Or was he there well, before Well, Phil you? Was, was the was king of the Groundlings. He'd been there for 10 years. And, you know, brilliant improviser. And what happened was it was 1984. And it was a, they had the Olympics in 84. So uh, the Olympics had an arts Olympic arts festival. And part of it was... You know, all kinds of arts, but they funded nine theaters to do an original show. And they, the, back then in LA, I don't know what it's like now, but the theater scene, you know, it's not Broadway, but there was like 250 theaters. I mean, it was huge. They picked nine. They picked the Groundlings. And so they decided to have Phil <coughs> create a show with the Groundlings called Chick Hazard Olympic Trials. And it was a, he, it was like a spoof of Humphrey Bogart and those detective uh, characters from the, and Philip Marlowe from the 40s. So I got to, I was in the, well, it's another story. But anyway, he, he decided, I got to understudy a part in the show. I was in, they have a, the Groundlings, the main company, then they have a Sunday company, a main company. So I was in the Sunday company, and, he, and I'd been there a year, and then you're supposed to get voted in after six months in the main company, and I didn't the first six, but the next six months, I thought people in there got ahead of me. I was better then. And they go, well, you had some trouble with some people. And I'm like, well, I don't get along with mentally ill people, you know. <laughs> and I was, they were mentally ill. I don't, one of them is very big now. I'm not going to say who. <laughs> say it. <laughs> Give us the first initial. I don't want to say who it is because then she'll come at me. Oh, good. Hold on. Repeat that. <laughs> anyway, Subtle. anyway, yes, Phil Hartman. So this is how big Phil. So I'm in the hall. The Groundlings says it's a 99 seat theater, and they have a hallway where you get these uh, with these lockers when you're in the main company, where you put all your uh, uh, costumes. You know, so I'm in there <coughs> in the hallway. Phil's all dressed up in character with this fedora. He was very thin at the time, he, and he had a lot. He was a very charismatic guy, you know. And we all idolized him. He was the only guy in the Groundlings that had any money. We we're all dead broke. He had a house in the valley. He had a new car. He had a job. What I was, was a wait, What was his job? What did, he had a job beyond the Groundlings. Oh yeah, he could do anything. Like his brother managed uh, 
was a, a manager of a big rock bands like Crosby, Stills and Nash and America. So he says to Phil one day, he goes, Phil, uh, can you draw an, al- a, a, an album cover for America? And Phil was an artist. He goes, I'll try. So he draws something. He goes, here, what do you think? Like this? And his brother goes, like this? This is it. I mean, he could do anything. He drew it. Crosby, Stills and Nash drew the logo. I mean, he could do anything artistically. Any, we could do anything. So anyway, he's in this hallway. And I said to Tom Maxwell, who was the guy I spoke to when I was 20, he goes, come on down. He was the artistic director of the Groundlings. So he goes, well, why don't you? He goes, listen, we're doing this play. I go, I should be in the company. And I don't know where this came from. He goes, well, you know, you could stay with the Sunday company in the six months. But you can't make the Groundlings your whole life. I was like, you don't understand. I go, I don't have a choice about this, okay? I go, I have to get in. I go, I have to. And I don't know where that came from. I didn't even know. Uh, it just came out of me, you know. And I was like, Jesus Christ. But uh, Because my dad wanted to be an opera singer, and I thought if I make it, then I'll make him happy, and finally he'll be happy, which is the biggest waste of life. You can't make someone else happy, but I didn't know that then. It was like fulfilling his dream and mine. But it doesn't work. You can fulfill your own dreams, but not someone else's. But anyway, so that's what I said. He goes, well, why don't you understudy this part? And he goes, I'm the artistic director of the Groundlings, and we'll see how we work together. So I said, he goes, does that sound fair? I go, yeah, that, that sounds, that's fine. That's more than fair. He goes, all right. He goes, I don't know you. Let's see how we work together, because I'll be the one directing you in the Groundlings if you're in the company. He goes, so why don't you understudy this part? I said, okay. I go, whose idea was it for me to understudy? He goes, Phil's. I go, Phil knows who I am? He goes, yeah, it was his idea. I couldn't believe Phil Hartman knew who I was. So now I'm in the hallway, and I see him walking down the hallway, and I'd never met him. You know, I'd never met him in my life. That's why I was like, he knows who I am. So I go, hey, hey, Phil, uh, I'm John Lovitz. He goes, yeah, yeah, I know who you are. I go, oh, you do? He goes, yeah, I, I've seen your work. I go, well, thanks for letting me, uh, picking me to understudy the party. He goes, oh, yeah, no problem. I think you'll be fantastic. He goes, yeah, I've seen your work. You're great. I really, he goes, yeah, you'll be fantastic. And he walked by. And in my head, I remember thinking, oh, my God, Phil Hartman spoke to me. <laughs> you know, it's very emotional, of course. I'll start crying. But I was like a puppy dog. And then I was like, Phil Hartman spoke to me. So he recommended me for that. So after that, I was like, Phil, 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 whatever you want. So he had a house. I go, I want to see your house. I want to see your house. I kept bugging him. He goes, all right, why don't you come over? And, he, and I came, he goes, you know, I've, I've never had anybody from the Groundlings over to my house. I said, you have any? He goes, why? He goes, I don't know. I'm just private. And so he was like my older brother. You know, I idolized the guy. So when, and then, so because I, I did that show. Oh, here's a story. So I go on in the Olympic trials. I do the show. And the guy I understudied, I don't want to say his name, but he really did not want me in the groundlings. I found out later. Like he really was. Kevin Smith. (laughs) No, it wasn't Kevin. I don't want to say. Who comes back? They go, guess who is in the show tonight? Who? Lorraine Newman, who was in the original cast of Saturday Night Live and in the Groundlings, and she brought John Travolta. Like, what? And they were doing that movie perfect, right? Well, John Travolta's a giant star. So they come backstage, and I meet him. So Lorraine says, well, how long have you been doing this show? I go, well, this is my first night. And she ended up recommending me to Lauren Michaels and for the show, and... Well, that anyway, that was the start of it. So that put you into that world at that point, like <coughs> from Groundlings, you were able to segue to. SNL well, that was in, that was Ray in Newman. the summer of '84. Then I got in the I got voted in the company in September of '84, and everyone kept saying, "Watch out for so and so," who I understudied. And I'm like, why? I didn't. And that turns out he, I had no idea. He fucking hated me. I had no idea. 
And that person says, I, he shows, you barely got in. He was like, really said horrible things about you. I go, was it that bad? She was vicious. So. Who is it, dude? Fucking tell us. There's no one you know. I, I, I don't want to say the name. I already said. No, I don't want to. It's, it's known. Believe me, it's known you've heard of. It, it came back to bite him in the ass. Oh, did it? Oh, yeah. What was the revenge? The revenge was the next year I'm on SNL and Lauren says, what do you think of so-and-so? And I was the main guy in the show. And I, but I didn't. I said, you know what? I said, I was really conflicted. I said, you know what? I, I don't want to keep somebody out of a job. But, uh, you know, this guy tried to keep me out of the groundlings. So it would uh, be really hard for me to recommend him. So he goes, okay, I understand. So that's all I said. But then about a week later, I said, no fucking way. I go, he's in the show. I go, it's me or him. He would have he, been very toxic. And then he, I think he found, he found out. I'm like, good. <laughs> so I got in the groundlings. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Okay, all right. Uh, Lorraine Newman is the one that sets up the SNL audition? No, well, kind of. What ha- I'll say it shortly. I got in the groundlings in January of 85. Yes. <laughs> then... On, in March, I get a, all these messages on a Sunday saying, con- from 20 people from the Groundlings, congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. But not saying what it's for. I have no idea. So on Monday, I call Tom Maxwell, the artistic director of the Groundlings. Great guy. I go, Tom, what's everyone congratulating me for? He goes, we're going to be on the Tonight Show. I go, who? He goes, you. The Groundlings. The pic- you're going to do your liar piece? We got a great review in the Hollywood Reporter. And Jim McCauley, who, God rest his soul, who, who booked all the comedians on The Tonight Show, he found, like everybody, like the modern, Jerry Seinfeld, Roseanne, Gary Shandling, uh, 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 Jim Carrey, I mean, on and on and on. Jim McCauley. He would put them on, and then, you know, you'd, Johnny Carson would give him the okay or the thumbs up, right? Bill Martin. Jim McCauley's the guy. He's the source of all the biggest modern comedians of, of my generation a little older. It's Jim McCauley. He's the one that gave him the break. He was the Tonight Show comedy booker? Yes. Okay. And then the producer. He booked the comedians. He would go to a club. He'd watch them. For, he's the one that started. He'd watch them and work with them on their material. Say, you're funny. you got to clean it up. Do this material. It's Jim McCauley's the guy. Uh, great guy. Anyway, he saw us. He booked us on the Tonight Show. Tom goes, yeah, you're going to do your liar character and you're going to do your piece with Tim Stack, the truck driver's speech that Tim Stack wrote, who was like Dirk Diggler. On, he was a son of the beach, that show. He did, did, did Tim. <coughs> he and Phil were the best guys in the groundlings. And uh, Woodard, Don Woodard was going to do, he did this, right, rap was new. And he, Don was like, what year do is the this white 85 man's rap. 85, yeah. White man's rap with Mindy Sterling and Kate Benton. I go, we're going on the Tonight Show? Yeah, I go, when? He goes, Thursday. I'm like, Thursday? <laughs> so I did the Tonight Show. I'm there all day, and I did my liar character in the Groundlings. And I said to Tom, I go, Tom, I don't know, what am I going to do? Half the time it works, and half the time it doesn't. Because if people don't get the first joke, it doesn't work. Of the liar, which was, you know, hello, my name is Tommy Flanagan. I'm a member of Pathological Liars Anonymous. In fact, I'm I'm the president of that organization. <laughs> now, if they didn't get that joke, it wouldn't work. But if they got it, it worked. He goes, don't worry, you'll be fine. So now I'm in the makeup room, and I'm like, there's Morley Safer from 60 Minutes interviewing Jack Lemon. 
And it was this other world. You know what I mean? I mean, then my dad had patience and show business. I met, but it didn't mean anything. It was another world where they lived, you know. And so I'm just sitting there listening. And Morley Saver goes, well, uh, to Jack Lemon, <coughs> uh, what have you learned after all these years of acting? And Jack, I guess, was in his 60s. And he goes, well, because this is what I've learned. Keep it simple. So I thought, okay, that's what I'll do. Then I go on stage for rehearsal. I said to the director, well, you're on that stage. You're on the ground floor. And then there's these big bleachers. They look like they go as high as this theater, which is three stories high. The John Lovitz Podcast Theater, Universal City Walk, in case you're listening. <laughs> plug, plug, plug. Where Kevin Smith is headquartered for Smodcast. Anyway, so I, I go, where do I look? Because in a theater, you're playing to the audience. He goes, just look in the, la- in the right in the camera. Thank God he said that because it gave me somewhere to focus. So I did it. And then that got me, uh, uh, Mike Eyes had signed me. And he goes, what about, and then we're auditioning Saturday Night Live at the time. It was in all the newspapers. Lauren Michaels, is, who was the producer of Saturday Night Live from 75 to 80, left the show. He's coming back in 85. It was everywhere. They're doing a nationwide talent search all across America, all across Canada. It was like Miss America contest. And now he's coming to Los Angeles. I read the article. Anyway, my agent goes, what about Saturday Night Live? I said, what are you, crazy? He goes, no, I'm serious. I said, oh, really? Well, I have a better idea. Why don't I land on Pluto? <laughs> Why don't I do that? Because it was just another world. And in the meantime, uh, this guy, Fred Weissman, this is how stupid show business is. Fred's a great guy. He's in charge of casting comedy out of NBC. You know what his background was? A dentist. <laughs> he knows teeth. He must know comedy. <laughs> he told me, he goes, I'm a dentist. He goes, I got the job. I go, how did you hear of me? He goes, Jim McCauley, who books The Tonight Show. I said, who's good at sketch comedy? He said, Jim McCauley said, John Lovitz is the best sketch comedian in town. And I immediately think, me? What about Phil? What about Tim? They're the but anyway, I go, he said that? I go, yeah. I go, oh, my God. So he saw me. He liked me. He recommended me to Al Davis. I mean, Al Franken and Tom Davis. So they saw me. I went to their office. I'm talking to them. Like, I'm, they're just staring at me. I go, oh, I'll do some of my characters. So I did my, these characters I had. They're laughing. What did you do? Which characters? And you're, this is in at the 30 Rock This is at NBC here in L.A. I did, I did Master Thespian. I did The Liar. I did this character, Eddie Spumoso. And I did this character, Biff Lorenzo. Do a piece of each for everybody right now. Yeah. Well, The Liar, you know. Do it. Give us rockers with a book. Give us three liars. Well, I did the liars like, hello, I'm Tommy Flanagan. I'm a member of Pathological Liars Anonymous. In fact, I'm the president of that organization. Now, I didn't always lie. No, I used to tell the truth. But then, then my parents found out I, I had a brother that they'd never met. And they got mad at me for not telling him sooner. <laughs> and they kicked me out of the house. Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> Get it? I had a brother they'd never met. Now, how ridiculous. Where did you find uh, That's the Ticket? Old movie, The Thin Man. If you watch that, the original William Powell, I liked old movies. And the Master Thin, so it was like, there's a character. I didn't make up, yeah, That's the Ticket. It's from old movies. But, but I turned into like, I thought, well, A, Pathological Liars and on Instead of AA, where they go, my name's Bob, I'm an alcoholic. That's not funny. But that wouldn't be funny, Pathological Liars Anonymous. So I, I started doing it in the Groundlings. Uh, they'd have a panel of like six people and they'd introduce people and there'd be a host and go, we're going to meet these six people and they'll say their name and who they are. So I said my thing and my friend Casey was a soap opera actor. My, John Frink, 
who's a writer on The Simpsons now, producer. <laughs> I got helped him get that job. Anyway, John, <laughs> you know, Professor Frank, the, the yeah, Jay Cogan, who was in The Growlings, ran the, named him after that. He was next to me. He goes, yeah, I run a, he had this crazy red wig. He goes, I run a work farm for children. And yeah, we got a six-month-old pushing a plow. And it was ridiculous. So I said my lines, and the audience would ask me questions. They go, what do you do? They go, how long have you been lied? I go, what are you talking about? I never said I was a liar. I don't know. What are you talking about? And this girl, Robin Schiff, who became a big writer, uh, she said, John, you set it up perfectly. You, don't, you could say anything. I go, like, what do you mean? She goes, just answer me. Don't say no. She goes, what's your favorite sport? And I go, uh, uh bowling. <laughs> and she laughed. She goes, see? She had to point it out to me. I'm like, shit. <laughs> I didn't even see it. Because the hardest thing is to come up with a great idea, but a simple idea, but that's great. Well, it was like John Barrymore, John Carradine from old movies, and my teacher, William Needles, who taught me Shakespeare. Who'd go, you know, he, my freshman year in college, goes, now I'm going to do some Shakespeare. This is from Henry V. Oh, for a muse of fire that would ascend the brightest heaven of invention. <laughs> it's that character. A kingdom for a stage, princes to act. And monarchs to behold the swelling scene. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and I could imitate it. And John Barrymore, John Carradine, you know, he'd be in, you know, Moses, and he'd go, Charlton has to be like, oh my God, you've got to get me out of her. Yes, I will. You're like a cannon. You can hear his voice bouncing off the soundstage. So Master Thespian, I, I, since I'm 18, I'd say to my friend David, I want to be the Master Thespian, the greatest actor of all time. Any part, anywhere, any time. So then it became like, you know, the di- actors say, and all the, from the diary of Master Thespian, the greatest actor of all time. And then there was the time when I had the keen insight to realize that Shylock should be played as a Dane and Hamlet as a Hebrew. <laughs> the theatrical community of London was so dumbfounded by what is now a well-known fact that they begged me to perform my version of the melancholy Jew before the Queen herself. You know, you know, it's all my characters. That's what I realized. They're all like cocky idiots. <laughs> Which to me is the funniest people ever. They like think they're, you know, genius and getting away with it. And they're like, he's the worst actor ever, you know. Who's the dude, uh, the third one you said, you just said you did four. Oh, Eddie Spumoso. I liked old movies. When I was like 18, I said to my mom, you hear those old movies? Oh, hey doll, how you doing? What's going on, Joe? Listen to me. You gotta get out of here. You gotta get out of here fast, eh? They talk fast like that. So that started off as an improv in the Groundlings. We would do shit like we would do an improv, and then they, they, one way, you, you, when you do improv, it, once you learn how to do it, it's, it's actually very easy. Because they go, there's four ways of adding information. Uh, you, you know, you say something verbally, you change your emotion, you change your physical, you know, you start crying out of the blue, you start laughing, you change your physical position, you drop to the ground, or you leave the stage and come back. So a lot of times, you do an improv, and people would leave, the stage, and you'd be out there alone, and then you'd be waiting for them to come back, and you, and I, and they'd just be looking at you laughing. They're not coming back. They're just leaving you hanging. <laughs> and it was very funny, and you'd go like, fuckers, you know. So I was on the phone as Eddie Spumoso, gang saying, hello, Ma, it's me, yeah, Eddie. Eddie Spumoso. And I had my hand in my, like this. And I go like, alright, I gotta go, I gotta go. Yeah. 
Oh, blah, blah, blah. I gotta go. And it was funny because I'm talking to my hand like I can't get off the phone. So th- th- it was this. I goes, hello, Ma. Yeah, it's, it was Eddie Spombozo. Sorry, a gangster who has syphilis of the brain, <laughs> which I got from Al Capone, died of syphilis of the brain. Goes, hello, Ma. Yeah, it's me, Eddie. Eddie Spomozo, your son, S-P-I-M-O-Z-O, Spomozo. No, Eddie, the good-looking one. No, Eddie. Yeah, now listen, Ma. Listen to me like you've never listened before. Dollface and me are getting married. Yeah, tonight. Eight o'clock. <laughs> so I have Father Rigliano coming over to the house about 7.45. All right, I gotta go. I gotta go. Yeah. Well, how did it end up on the floor? <laughs> Well, what's it doing now? Oh. No. Well, why just stick your hand in it if it was boiling? Is it curly? All right. Yeah, go ahead and poke it. Yeah, I'll wait. What? All right, I gotta go. I gotta go. Yeah. Oh, all right. Happy birthday. Yes, you can have a piece of cake. Now I gotta go. I gotta go. What? No, you cannot have a piece with a rose on it. The rose is for me. I tell you, the rose is for me. Now I gotta go. I gotta go. Hello, hello. Operator, operator. How do you like that? My own ma hung up on me. I don't know how I remember that shit. That's the whole character. Well, one that's great. I, I was in Westwood. Um, when I was 17, waiting in line, or I don't know, maybe, no, I was older, in my 20s. Anyway, with my friend Alan, we're waiting in line for a movie, and there's these guys in front of me, I was 18, I was 18, from New York. And I, I'd never been to New York, and I thought New Yorkers, every time I met them, they were so funny and lively, and hey, you doing? And they were just hilarious and great stories. So these guys are in front of me from New York, and one of them, the lip was, top lip was curled under his teeth, so he's like, he talked like this, how you doing? He goes, yeah, New York's pretty fucking great, you know, da, da. and I'm asking, I'm talking for about an hour in line. My friend Alan comes up to me, he goes, John, do you know what time it is? And this guy I'm talking to, turns to Alan and goes, shut your fucking mouth. So anyway, I did this character, Biff Lorenzo, was just, I did the growlings, and he's like this, and yeah, my name's Biff, Biff Lorenzo. And I, <laughs> it was the, the weirdest, the it's on YouTube, you see me with John Cusack. And I do my hands, which I do. Yeah, my name's Biff Lorenzo. And, uh, he goes, I lost my lip in Nam. <laughs> Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. I was sitting there in a trench, and a piece of shrapnel hit my lip. It cut off my lip. And there it was. Squirming like a worm with the head cut off. <laughs> Just a fucking weirdo. <laughs> yeah, Biff Lorenzo. La, 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 la. Hello, Kevin. You talk with his hands and shit like yeah. that? Yeah. Those are Selena, the four they that you That's when I got on the show. So I did that for Franken and Davis. Then they came to see me at the Groundlings, and I was doing Master Thespian in a sketch, and nobody was laughing but Al. I could hear him laughing. And I remember thinking, thank God that guy from Saturday Night Live is laughing. And over I tell Al this, he starts laughing. Like, <laughs> he has a very distinctive laugh. <laughs> So I did that. So now I get this movie with Charles Grodin, and we're shooting on Catalina Island, so Charles Grodin likes me. In the meantime, Lorraine Newman calls Lauren Michaels, and she recommends me. She'd be out of the blue. Charles Grodin says, well, we, I go, I have to leave Wednesday to meet Lauren Michaels. Now, they, he, they, Franken and Davis recommended me to meet Lauren. 
So the director, she says, you wouldn't believe what Charles Grown just said about you. What? She says, he praised you and said, that you should take a good hard look at this guy and can you wait till Friday and da da da. What I didn't realize was, it, showbiz, it's such a small world, pretty much, I go, how do you know Lauren? Well, everybody knows everybody. Back then, they all knew each other. It's a small amount of people working. So he recommended me. So then I get off, uh, and my, I go to meet Lauren on a Friday, and my agent meets me. We're so excited. We drive up to the Beverly Hills Hotel. Right when we pull, I'd never been there. Michael Caine walks in front of the car. I'm like, I'm in that world. This is that world I hear about, you know. And I go to meet Lauren, and he just he just starts talking, you know. And he likes to talk. I didn't know, but I thought, oh, he's trying to relax me, but he likes to talk. And I talk. Can you to do him. a Lauren? Do you have a Lauren impression like everybody does? Oh, of course, yes. Let's John, hear. you know the thing about the show. <laughs> Lauren, the thing about it, you know, is um, you know it becomes that thing, and uh, the show, you know, da, da, da. I don't know what he was saying. I'm just like staring at him, and I don't remember, but I was just like, "There's Lauren Michaels," and then uh, and then he goes, well, um, "How old are you?" And I go, "28." He goes, "That's a good age." Billy Murray was 28 when he did the show. I'm like, "Oh," and I leave. I'm thinking, "Wait, did he just tell me I got the show?" Well, anyway, I go back to Catalina Island on a Friday, and then we shoot on a Monday, and then on Tuesday, I get off, I go back to LA off the ferry, and my agent's there, he goes, they're sending you to New York for the final audition. So from LA, the audition that they picked me, the, the three men and three women, the men were me, Den- we're all unknown, Dennis Miller, and Damon Waynes. And the women were Jennifer Tilly, Julie Brown, the prom queen's got a gun, yeah. Pam Madison, who's super talented. I w- thought she should have got the show. She's great. Anyway, she's a great stand-up. She can do impressions and sing great. Amazing. So it was the six of us from L.A. And I remember I'm sitting next to Dennis Miller. He's like, ah. I didn't know him. He goes, ah, Sam, ah, Sam, what do you do? So I do like this liar character. And Dennis later on goes, yeah, I thought, yeah, fine, yeah. Okay, he won't get the show. The fuck, man. So this kind of, we all do Dana's impression. Dana imitates everything. Bah, Dennis. Yeah, okay, good Carby. Yeah, good lover. Bah, yeah, good. So anyway, so your, we get, your Dennis Miller sounds like the penguin. He's like, mah, 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 mah. well, Dana, Dana does an impression. He goes, Dana, Dana, Dennis Miller when he's eighty-five in the home. <laughs> anyway, yeah, good love it. Yeah, yeah, Kevin Smith. Yeah, good segue. Fucking love it. Since so you get to the point, kind of fucking gone on the Chisholm Trail and joined the Donner Party. Have you got some of that fucking story? I think they came out with tell it. Transporters. By the time you fucking finish that, yeah, yeah. I think I think I, I think I'm a great grandfather by the name of my son named Quinto Conquinco. By the time you finish that fucking story, bang, yeah, fucking love it. Yeah, good impression. Yeah, turn that impressions on. I think fucking it's another tornado hit Joplin. Only this time you're fucking in it because you won't shut up. Bah, bah. Anyway, yeah, good. Yeah, fucking love it. He comes to your house, he's in the fucking toilet for an hour, fucking had a stack of... Bah. Anyway, so, so, uh, so they fly us to New York. So then they say, and it's all over the newspaper. So this audition was, it was like the Miss, finals of the Miss America contest, which I wouldn't have won at the time because my breasts were too small. But anyway, so we go. Well, now they say there's nine guys. One guy didn't show up. And then they say, I go, should I do stand-up? And oh, Fred said, the dentist says, no, because you're competing against other stand-ups. 
So we're at this Minskoff rehearsal hall. They say there's ten men, and now there's nine, but there's five spots. Then they say, oh, they already hired Randy Quaid. There's four spots. Oh, they hired Anthony Michael Hall. Oh, they hired Robert Downey Jr. Oh, they hired this guy, Terry Sweeney. So now it turns out there's one spot for nine guys. We find out over the days. And when we, <coughs> Minskoff rehearsal, the Minskoff Theater is a big Broadway stage. So they have this rehearsal hall. It's this huge room. And Fred says, listen, if they don't laugh, don't worry about it. Damon Waynes goes in before me. He goes, you know what, if I get it, and I was 28, he must have been like 24. He goes, if I get it, I get it, I don't, I don't, I don't care, you know, it's no big deal. I'm not gonna worry about this. He goes in the room. He comes out 15 minutes later. He's like, he's pale. The blood's drained from his face. His eyes are glossy. He's like, he looks like he just went through the war. Right? He's just like sweating, not speaking his mouth. So he's like, Ugh. And I go, what the fuck happened to him? So I go next. There's 35 people there staring at me. And then you got to understand, I recognize Randy Quaid. I'd met him once before. There's Anthony Michael Hall. I go, hey, that's a big star. I never heard of Robert. No, he was 20 at the time. Anyway, I'm looking. and they're just Robert talking. Downey Jr. Yeah, Robert Downey no, Jr. Right, so case. they're all talking and talking. And I'm just standing there like for five minutes. So I get pissed. I'm like, so I clap my hands. I go, okay, I'm ready to go. Hello. You know, and I'm thinking, how rude. You know, I'm like waiting. I do my four characters and they're laughing. And then Lauren says, well, do you have anything else? And I'm like, ah, oh, shit. No. I'm thinking. Cause they go, you have like seven minutes. I did like four minutes. I go, but I go, well, I started trying to do a stand up thing for five in the groundlings. That's why I asked Fred, Fred Weissman. I said, should I do it? He goes, no. Then, well, he's asking for more. So I start, and they're laughing. But first thing, not everybody, but about half the room said, well, I got some laughs. So I started doing it. Well, the no one's laughing. And I'm thinking, don't stop. I keep going. It's getting worse and worse and worse for like five minutes. Lauren goes, okay, thanks. So I leave the room. I'm just like Damon. I'm white, just like Damon. <laughs> He'd laugh at that. He'd laugh at too funny. Sweating, my eyes are glossy. Then I realized what happened to Damon, which was we thought, oh my God, I just blew the biggest chance of my life. I just fucked it up. God damn it. I was like horrified. I was so horrified. Pam, Ma I'm Jewish. Pam Madison says, John, after the additions, you want to go with me across, you want to go to St. Patrick's Cathedral and light a candle for good luck that we get the show. And I'm Jewish. And I said, yes. <laughs> Anything. Yes, I'd want to light a candle to Jesus. <laughs> so I go in and I say, Jesus, I'm not Christian, but if you get me this job, I'll believe in you. Jewish, thanks for having me. <laughs> As your guest. Well, he was Jewish. Anyway, I did that. I was desperate. So the next day, they say, uh, you're going to put you on tape. Be here at 4.30. Well, I'm, uh, you know, as you can tell, I have ADD, and I don't mean to, but I'm always losing track of time. I'm always late. Well, I wasn't late that day. I was there at 4.10, 20 minutes early. Now I'm in this room it's in, in Rockefeller Center, in the, in the Studio 8H, and I'm in the room where the musicians uh, wait to go on. So I'm waiting. I'm watching TV. I'm waiting for like four hours. Four hours. You know what that's like? Waiting for the chance of your lifetime. And I'm waiting and I'm nervous and I'm nervous. 
for two hours, I'm like, oh, pacing. Finally, I go, I gotta watch TV. So I put on, I see Casablanca. Well, Humphrey Bogart's one of my favorite actors. So I start watching that. I start getting sleepy. <laughs> you go through every emotion. I mean, it's the chance. I had nothing. I was broke. I had nothing. Then I finally, I go into the control room. I see Dennis Miller. This guy was like fucking cocky. He was like loose, funny, improvised. I'm like, look at this guy. Holy shit. I go, oh, I'll do that. So I finally, they finally call me after four hours. I go, and in the hallway, I, I said, Randy Quaid, I said, uh, I go, what do you think of this thing? I did this thing for him. He goes, that's funny. Maybe you should do that. I'd met him once before. I go, hi, Randy. So I do this thing for him. He goes, yeah, that's funny. So I go in the room finally. I'm like, hey, and I'm imitating Dennis, really. I'm like, hey, how you doing, Lauren? Good. So De- Lauren goes, well, what do you want to do? You want to do your liar character? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I already did it. You really want, I think I should do it again. He goes, yeah, you're right. Well, so I, d- I did some characters, and he goes, all right, Randy, why don't you stand next to John, right? Oh, I got to stand up and show you this. So he stands next to me, right, on my left. This is what got me Saturday Night Live. You won't believe this. So I did this piece. Tim Stack, a great guy, did a piece about how a soldier in World War II on the front lines, how he ended up in the front lines. And he's on the front lines now, like in, like the Danube in France or something. He's there. I don't even know if they fought there. That's where we thought they were. <laughs> so I get in the groundlings. Tim was a great guy, my neighbor. And he goes, I go, could I do that piece with you? He goes, yeah, sure. So we, we wrote a monologue together. So I, so I go, well, I don't know what else to do. So Randy says, why don't you do that thing about your grandmother? I said, okay. And when I do the piece in the groundlings, we're in World War II. Tim's like 6'4 on my left. Randy is on my left, same height, 6'4. So this is what I do. This is ironic. This is a piece I, that got me the show. I could never get it on the show. How crazy is that? So this is the piece I do. It's my turn. I go, a guy, and I was imitating Dana Andrews. You know Dana Andrews? No. <laughs> Mr. Film History Buff Not Who is that? You know who Gordy Howe is? Yeah, yeah, yeah Oh, yeah, hockey yeah. But you make movies You don't know who Dana Andrews is <laughs> That would be like saying to a hockey buff Do you know who Gordy Howe is? No Huge actor in the 40s And uh, I did this I met his granddaughter And he would, he would do a lot of World War II movies He was a leading actor I think he did uh, uh, what was it? Lost Horizon Okay. With Ronald Coleman, he was the lead. Anyway, big, huge star. He'd be like Ben Affleck today. He's like that. Okay. Thank you for the modern day translation. <laughs> so you do him for the. Thank audition? you for forcing me to do that. <laughs> you do. You and I actually did this for his grand, his granddaughter, and she goes, "I'm bragging." She goes, "She was dying laughing." I did this thing about like your grandfather. Your grandfather's Dana Andrews, the actor. I did an audition for Saturday Night Live. And I did him. And she goes, can I do it for her? She goes, yeah. And I did it. She was dying. She goes, that's him, that's him, that's him. I go, it is? She goes, yeah. I imitate for movies. So this is what he goes. How did I, a guy in World War II, I go, how did I end up in the war? How did I end up, and he's smoking. How did I end up in the war? Package came in me in the mail one day. Wrapped inside was a uniform. Oh, a package came in the mail one day. Wrapped inside was a uniform with my name on it. Grandma got to it first. She didn't want to lose the only man with rubber feet. So she put it on, took my place. After she added about 15 yards of canvas material, nobody knew. You see, Grandma was what you'd call a hefty gal. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, she liked to eat. In fact, she was quite the chow hound. <laughs> ah, who am I kidding? She was a fat pig. <laughs> anyway, when the platoon boat hit the beach, and I go on. Anyway, there was a point where I go, nobody knew. No, I, I missed the, the part of the story. So my brain's fucked up. Nobody knew. Then I look at Randy, I go, you see, Captain, Grandma was what you'd call a hefty gal. Well, when I looked at Randy, I went like this. I looked at him, and I did a double take. I went, you see, Captain. Because he was like, taller than you. Because he was like Tim. I thought, oh, it's like Tim Stack, six foot four on my left. That's all I thought. I went, you see, Captain. Just like that. That was it. That's what got me the show. <laughs> Al Franken, he goes, this is what he said to me. I swear to God, this is how I got Saturday Night Live. He goes, I go, how did I, how'd you pick me? Well, anyway. <laughs> how'd you pick me? I said, he said, well, you were everything we weren't looking for in one person. <laughs> but you were funny. I go, when? Well, when you did that thing, that look, I go, I wasn't even trying to be funny. I was just looking at Randy like, what a coincidence, like that. And then I, I got home on a, on a Sunday. They go, they're going to pick one out of nine guys. I go, there's no fucking way they're going to pick me. So I go, all right, I'm just going to go back in the growling, start doing new characters. I started thinking like that. And a Thursday, Lorraine Newman called me and she said, you got it. I go, what? She goes, you got the show. She was in, and uh, she was, you overcame a lot. And you know what I said? I said, because I'm Jewish, right? <laughs> and she said, yep. <laughs> and she's Jewish. When did you get the call? Thursday. Lorraine Newman called. So Lorraine say Newman says, you got somebody... the show. I go, I got it. She goes, you got it. Wait, is she the official emissary? Well, no, but every, you know, she's friends with Lauren. Lauren told her and she called, she recommended me, so he probably told her. She goes, can I, probably said, can I call John? She'd befriended me. She said, <laughs> so she said, I got it. So I go, I did, yeah. So I called Dinah Minot, who was the producer on the show. I go, did I get the show? She goes, well, they shouldn't have told you that. Who told you that? She goes, who told you that? I go, Lorraine Newman. Yeah, no, she shouldn't have told you that. Um, yeah, we're not really uh, sure yet who's got it. Like, what? So I called Charles Grodin. I said, listen, can you do me a favor? I go, I don't know if I have the show. Lorraine Newman just called me and said I did. Dinah Minot said I didn't. Can you find out? He goes, yeah, sure. And Charles Grodin's like my mentor, like a great, great guy. So he, you know, The Father and Beethoven, all those movies, great guys. So, but plus a million more things than that. So he, he calls back five minutes later. He goes, you got it. I go, I did. He goes, yeah. He goes, you got it. Can you believe it? I'm like, oh my God. So I drive down to the Groundlings Theater and my teacher from the Groundlings from three years ago, my main teacher, Randy Bennett, he's teaching a class. I go, Randy, I have to tell you something. What? I go, I got it. What? I got Saturday Night Live. He goes, you got Saturday Night Live? I go, I got it. He starts crying. He goes, oh my God, you got it. And then I was supposed to do weekend update. And a week later, they hired Dennis Miller and Lauren goes, we're going to hire Dennis to do it, but don't worry, you'll have plenty to do. But I was supposed to do a weekend update. And there was these two guys are from Boston, and they kept going, I was trying to be funny as the newsman. They go, no, do it real, do it real, do it real. And, like, and then they hired Dennis. And then they hired Damon Waynes as a feature player. And this was the season, so this is before Phil Hartman even got there, right? Yeah, 85. It was unbelievable. My life went like this. <laughs> Completely flipped. What was the, what was the, who's the first person you called after it was uh, official once Charles Grodin, so weird, Charles Grodin confirmed. I called my dad, fucking asshole. 
and said what? First of all, he used to say, well, he's dead now. I love him to, I love, love him to death, but I'm saying this for the first time. This is horrible. You know, you, you don't want to support. Here, you mean, you, when I was 23, you can't be an actor with that face. Oh, now you're dead. Yes. So and you... I told George Siegel, the actor, that, and he goes, that's his face. <laughs> I said, yeah, I never thought of it. <laughs> Self-loathing, low self-esteem. What did he say when you told him? What did he say when you finally told him? I go to his office, right? And my dad... You know, he'd say it, but people, they, I show a picture, people, people go, oh, your dad's a very handsome man. What happened to you? Like, fuck you, you cock. <laughs> like, I have a choice what I look like. I'm not ugly, you know. Anyway, so he says, uh, I said, Dad, I got Saturday Night Live. He goes, hmm, imagine, imagine if, how successful you'd be if you were as good looking as me. <laughs> So, and he wanted to be an opera singer, didn't do it. So I said, yeah? Well, imagine if I was you. I never would have made it. Nice, man. Yeah, but nice. I'm not proud of that. No, but still. I that's... heard him back. He, and he goes, ha <laughs> touche. I go, why do you say these things to me? Don't you know how much it hurts me? And he goes, eh, I have a mean streak. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say that to him. I was doing it for him. You know, I'm like, now are you happy? You can't make somebody else happy. But it drove me. Lisa Kudrow, she, you know, I got Sarah live, and then she, caught, we used to talk about, I was like six years older than her. Oh, I still am. And she, <laughs> and she was like 14. She asked me about acting. And then she was in New York once. She did some characters. She was like visiting. And she called me. She goes, hey, I want to, I want to get into acting. I said, well, go to the Groundlings, you know. I got her a book when she was 14 about how to audition. A great book by Michael Shirtleff. I go, to my fellow thespian, Lisa, you know. I said, well, go to the Groundlings. But she really did it herself. She'd call me for advice. I go, well, I think you should do this. She goes, well, I was thinking maybe I should do this. And I, I, I'd always say, you know what, you're right. That's better. Because I was always coming from anger. She says, well, maybe if I did this. I go, you're, you're right, do that. And, um, but she said I inspired her. And I go, why? She goes, well, I thought if you, I read, she says, if he could make it, I, anyone, I could make it. I go, what do you mean? She says, well, not that anyone could, but someone I knew in my life actually did it. She goes, it's actually possible. And that's what you have to be like. You have to want it so bad. Oh, I wanted it bad. And now you have your own fucking comedy club, sir. The Podfather. Yeah, yeah, pretty amazing. Well, thanks to you. That that blue light flashing. You can't give me the blue light in my own club. That uh, is episode one, and that gets you to SNL. Now, for the next few weeks, when we reconvene and whatnot, we'll do it once a week. We'll keep going. Well, now we'll be on SNL, Kevin. What is it? Yeah, now we'll talk about Saturday Night Live. We will, yeah. We got you. Now we're there. I got to take a fucking piss. Stop talking, motherfucker. (laughs) Jesus Christ, I'm trying to wrap it up. And they're like, there's another story. This guy talks more than anybody and tells me to shut up. Um, that way you've gotten us there. Now we're at SNL, so from here on in, man, it'll be all who, what, when, all those fucking stories, and we'll keep doing it every week. Did you have a good time doing it? This right now, this tonight. Oh, did you want me to talk? <laughs> I had a blast. Thank you. 
Thanks for coming Thank out tonight. Thank you for creating this show, Kevin. No worries. Thank you for doing your smart castle here. No worries, man. It's Give fantastic. it up for the podfather himself, ladies and gentlemen, John Lovitz. Thanks for hanging out. This is the ABCs of SNL. We'll return next week and we'll learn a lot more, man. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up one more time for Mr. John Lovitz and, of course, Mr. Kevin Smith. It's the ABCs of SNL right here at the John Lovitz Comedy Club soon. Get ready for round two. Kevin Smith and John Lovitz are going to crack your ass up again with another live episode on July 3rd at 8 p.m. at the John Lovitz Comedy Club. Grab your tickets for the next episode of the ABCs of SNL at the thejohnlovitzcomedyclub.com. This has been a production of Smodcast Internet Radio. Sir, only at smodcast.com.